we need to see ourselves. Same thing with me teaching at the University of Nebraska. I need to see myself as have colleagues that look like me, have students that look like me. We, we all need representation. Hello and welcome to A Pixie from Kilmarnock, a program about the people, places, and the history of the Northern Neck of Virginia. I'm your host, Pixie E. Curry. Here in Richmond, Virginia, in June of 2021, most of the Confederate monuments had been removed. The last holdout was that of a Northern Neck native, General Robert E. Lee, born in Stratford Hall, Westmoreland County, Virginia. And just recently, his statue was removed as well. Another native of the Northern Neck had traveled across the ocean to another continent, Africa the land of where the people who were the root of the lost cause originated. She was there to write about the struggles in South Africa and its people still challenged in the modern version of the same fate, life without liberty, life while being oppressed. Apartheid and slavery, conjoined twins sharing the same heart, the same pain. This is the second part of my interview with Dr. Don Y. Curry. Dr. Curry is a Fulbright scholar, an expert in documenting apartheid and sexism in South Africa, an author, and an associate professor of history and ethnic studies at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. While visiting her home on the Upper Peninsula, also known as the Neck, she also spent some time here in the River City. While here, She visited sites that had hindered the forward progression of its black citizens for decades, the accolades to those who wanted to keep the enslaving of black people, people who were the architects of the success of this commonwealth, this nation. She had witnessed the same mentality in South Africa, and we talked about the evil that still bounded our two continents, but also the hope that make it possible to once and for all right the wrongs made in the motherland and to her children who had to make a way away from her. This is Fluff. One of the things Fluff and I share is how we want people to address us as far as our names are concerned. There is a decades-old game where family and friends try to guess my middle name. So much fun. 
So, something that I have always wanted to say. We're live here in the studio with Dr. Dawn or Dr. Fluff Curry. And she's over here trying to figure out what my middle name is. And what were some of the uh, options that you were giving me? Ella, Esther, Enid, Eula, Estelle. It ain't happening, Fluff. It ain't happening. No, I see. <laughs> well, I can't do this. I can't continue to talk anymore until I know what the E stands for. <laughs> oh, you people. Yvonne. Nope. <sighs> nope. And the games continue. Elsie. No. The games continue. Yes, let the games continue. Well, first of all, welcome back home after being um, landlocked in Nebraska. Back here on the East Coast, and uh, I'm sure you are enjoying being home again. Oh, yes. Don't even want to go back, truthfully. I understand that. What did you do while you was home? Um, did a little research. I went on a, a boat, little boat cruise with my mother and brother in Hampton Roads. Toward Monument Avenue with my cousin and my childhood friend, Linda. Got to see Rockets Landing and some other places in Richmond. You went to Hampton University while you was home, too, right? Yeah, so did some research in the archives. Mm-hmm. They have a wonderful museum and a mm-hmm. wonderful library mm-hmm. that documents some of the freemen, the Native Americans, all of the people who they classify as being colored. Mm-hmm. And that would include uh, Inuits. Those, all of those people were uh, classified as colored. So you are researching for another book? I'm researching Africans who went to historically black colleges and universities. So I'm going to do Hampton, Norfolk, Virginia Union, Virginia State, and others. We were talking about going down to Rockets Landing, which is located near the Slave Trail. And also looking at where the auction block is. A lot of African slave history here in Richmond. And then the trip down Monument Avenue where you also got to see uh, Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe, a native of Richmond, but also did a lot of work in South Africa. Worked with Nelson Mandela. Have you did any research where his name pop up in any of the research? Yeah, yeah, because he was definitely in opposition to apartheid. I don't think he played tennis in South Africa because of his stance. And he was at the sentence, too, when people were marching and taking over the embassy in Washington, D.C. We last talked, you was editing your second book, Revising. Yes. And what was the what's the name of that book? Okay, so my second book is called Social Justice at Apartheid's Dawn, African Women Intellectuals and the Quest to Save the Nation. This is dealing with a time period in South African history from 1910 to 1948 that is known as the segregation era. It's before the era of apartheid, which was a more brutal form of oppression that lasted in the country for 46 years until 1994. So some of the women that I researched were African women who went to HBCUs here. In particular, um, Lillian Shabalala went to Hampton University. You had she went to Tuskegee for a minute and then there were others that went to Wilberforce University like Charlotte Matike and so I was looking at their writings their presidential addresses their poems and their editorials and how they talked about saving the African nation and what they saw wrong with the segregation era in South Africa. You also was talking about you wanted to do a documentary film what 
is the documentary film going to be about? I have several ideas for a documentary. One, I would like to do a documentary film on South African women jazz artists. That's one. And possibly on these women that I just wrote about, compiling something in a segregation era, getting stock footage and videos and talking to people who lived through those times that are still living, still surviving. And doing something with that. The music comes because it's a passion for me. It's a love for me. I'm always at jazz shows when I'm in South Africa and I meet so many artists. And it would be nice to do research there going back to Mary McCabe and beyond to trace the evolution of women's, you know, musical history. So that's something I want to go back to. I had started doing that when I was on a Fulbright in 2017, 2018. But there are more interviews I need to do, especially with older people. Like I met someone that did tour with Mary McCabe, who's still alive. And we never got a chance to sit down and talk because she was always going out of town. But she's definitely someone I would like to sit down and really get all that rich history. Bring it up to contemporary, too, with new artists to show the changes and or maybe talk about some of the similarities in the industry that each have faced being women. Some of the women activists here in America, like Angela Davis and Nikki Giovanni, their poetry, their writings, their uh, philosophical writings, those in South Africa, who are some of their counterparts that you have written about or you know about? During the time of Mary McLeod Bethune or Anna, Ju- Anna Julia Cooper, you had Lillian Shabalala. You had Charlotte uh, Matike, who went to Wilberforce, studied under W.E.B. Du Bois. She was the first South African to graduate, you get a degree, B.S.C. degree in 1901. And she met her husband, Marshall Matiki, there. They went back to South Africa, started um, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and they also started a school called the Wilberforce Institute. So that's that's something stemming from her days. She began her touring around the world as a vocalist in the African choir. They went to London, England, her and her sister and 14 other South Africans and went to London, England from 18... 94 to 1895, I believe. There was an opportunity to go sing again in the States, and then they got stranded by their manager. And there was some prominent African-Americans and said, you want to go to school? She was like, yeah. So she ended up going to school um, at Wilberforce. They were stranded? They were stranded by the management, just like they were in London. They weren't paid what they were supposed to get paid and stranded. And so they had to make do. Speaking of men, prominent men at this time was uh, Alfred B. Kruma, who ended, his first wife was Liberian. His second wife was from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, named Maddie Hall. They got married in 1940. And at that time in South Africa, he was the president of the African National Congress. And so she lived in South Africa from 1940 to 1963. She left when he died. But she also was involved in a lot of these women's organizations, and especially the Zanzeli clubs. And Wanda Hendricks has just done a biography on her. It should be coming out in the, in this year, and which tells about all about her transnational connections. You know, there's a lot of counterparts. And, you know, you just gave me a good idea. I could look at somebody like a Bethune or Anna Julia Cooper or Mary Church Terrell and find that counterpart in a, in, a, in South Africa and do a comparison. Thank you. So that's that's something I, yeah, I definitely will look into. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. 
So let's go back on Monument Avenue. You saw the the monuments and specifically the monuments that have been removed mm-hmm. and the monuments that are still standing. And South Africa was also involved in the removal of statues that uh, represented the glorification of apartheid and uh, colonization. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about it? Yes. In South Africa, they call it the fallism movement. It first started with the student school fees were high. So they were saying fees must fall. People protested in the streets. They didn't go to school. They didn't pay their bills. So the fees got, they fell. And then they started looking at monuments like Cecil John Rose, who made all this money out of diamonds, was an early colonizer in South Africa. He owned De Beers Mining Corporation, which is still in existence today. He had two countries named after him which are today Zimbabwe and Zambia, which was Southern Rhodesia and Northern Rhodesia. And so there was this statue of Rhodes on, at the University of Cape Town, and they took it down. And that's, that's spawned the movement, more of the movement of fallism. So yeah, you saw that happening in the States, people going back in history, you see all these Confederates and leaders being honored. A lot of Africana leaders or this descendants of the Dutch who first came to South Africa in 1652, who then went by the Boers, which means farmers, who then went in from the coast of Cape Town inland to South Africa, and they became the truck Boers because they went on this great trek to get away from the British who were intruded upon their way of life because they wanted to continue to enslave the indigenous peoples and things like that. They ultimately became the Afrikaners or the white tribe. So a lot of their statues were coming down, so they've taken them to a place like called Arania, which is known as a staunch Africana town. And so they do stuff like that. So people can still admire these statues. It's just that it won't be in most prominent places. So, you know, they might take the ones in Richmond and put them somewhere else. And I think that is, um, well, some of them went head first into, you know, ponds and just was demolished. But I think for the most part, the trend is that they will be placed in a museum Mm -hmm. where, you know, they have a historical significance, Mm -hmm. but they're not to be, you know, portrayed as being an altar of sorts. And which then again, bring me back to uh, Arthur Ashe. Um, I was always angry at how they changed the design for uh, Mr. Ashe, where they did not want him to have his head up or his arms up, that they wanted him to be in a more submissive uh, position. Him being on Monument Avenue was a big deal, but they still, to make the white citizens allow him to be on their sacred hallowed ground, that they had to make him to be less of a man. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, making his head be low and his arms be low. Mm -hmm. Which is quite the contrast to white men on galloping horses. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. You also said you was going to do a book about women in jazz. Who are some of the women artists that you were going to be featuring? More the women in jazz was more of a film. So I would be doing history, tracing the history of music within South Africa, even if that means choral music on up to jazz. And so I would look look at someone like a Mary Makeba, a Dali Ratebe, Dorothy Masuka, Abigail Kubega. And on up to present day artists. So you went back home. Uh, Ronnie was was jumping up and down with glee because that was a surprise visit, right? Yes. Well, I had to tell her because I booked a boat ride. And if she didn't want to go, I wasn't paying for that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
So, yeah. But that was the first time I've been home in two years because I had a car accident and then I didn't feel like coming in December of 2019 and then COVID hit. And so when I said I was wanting to come home, she and my mama said, no, we're not ready for you yet. She said something else. She told me to stay my ass there. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. so she was ready for me and I was ready for her, too. You are listening to A Pixie from Kilmarnock with an interview with Dr. Dawn Y. Curry, fluff to her family and friends. This second part was here in Richmond while Fluff was visiting home on the neck and researching for her second book. Coming back to the Northern Neck, what were some of the major changes that you saw, first off? Well, a lot of new businesses, a lot of different road stuff. I mean, I'm just in awe of the beauty of this place. And, you know, having the privilege to have lived here for 18 years, the water, the greenery, you know, just going in the store and everybody's like, hey, how you doing? You know, just this, that hometown feeling. Me correcting people that call me Dawn that don't call me Dawn. Um, I am still fluff, you know. I'm not one of these people that I can't be called my nickname, so... Actually, I get mad if people that don't normally call me Dawn call me Dawn because I'm like, you're not, that's fake, you know. Well, well, I think, too, that they're trying to honor you. Yeah. And the admiration and the happiness that we feel for you, that, you know, that you have achieved as much as you have. But, you know, you still fluff to us. Oh, most definitely. Definitely. But uh, you know, I should call you Dr. Fluff from now on. Yeah. S- sassy Dr. Fluff. <laughs> well, yeah, there's some new, new restaurants. It's like, it's more options and more wineries here, too, in Lancaster. Yeah, you saw the winery yeah. that's now on Arrow, and it, it got hit really hard by the uh, hurricane that came uh, last season. Mm. It ripped on through it, but I think the uh, the vineyards, they survived. But there are new restaurants, and there are new uh, businesses, but, you know, I don't know if, if there's businesses that is geared towards uh, technology. You know, it's more mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm services versus you know something that can challenge the the young people mm-hmm. that may be going away to college or want to think about what type of vocation that they want to go in mm-hmm. you know something that's a little geared towards the future yeah it's still a catering to yeah the same thing here you know i do like the fact that they got hot mix uh virginia radio and out of top of Hannah. i know there are several young men that were involved in it but Giles Scott 
you know, help to get that in. And he has had his children in the studio with him. And, you know, that could spark something in a young kid. Like, you know, there might be something they want to do. Grow up learning how to produce and all kinds of things. So you're right. The county does need stuff that most people to be of the something. And not that anything's wrong with it. In addition to nursing or landscaping or fishing, they could do other things too, you know. Yes, yes. What kind of changes? Well, you pretty much just said that changes or maybe different types of industry. Not only the different types of industry, but also being more inclusive. Do you think they need to be more inclusive in uh, the Northern Neck as far as uh, how many black businesses there are in the Northern Neck? Yeah, I agree. We need to see ourselves. Same thing with me teaching at the University of Nebraska. I need to see myself as have colleagues that look like me, have students that look like me. We, we all need representation. So, yes, because that's something to aspire to, too. You can leave a legacy with a business. Your own. Uncle Joseph Curry got Curry and Curry Pottery still going on. There are others that have done stuff that got continued. Well, unfortunately, Crosby's didn't go on. Just imagine if we still had that. But the point is, we got to think about building economical wealth that can go from the next generation to the next. I interviewed P.J. Haney, who's a fifth-generation farmer, mm-hmm. and he said that God is not making any more land. The thrust is generational wealth, is having businesses that is can be handed from generation to generation. Like Crosby, that would be wonderful mm-hmm. if, if someone could bring that back to life. Churchill Beach mm-hmm. could come back. If Crawfords could come yeah. back. If Crawfords could come back. Even Rice's too. Yeah, all of that. When we think about when I was growing up, you know, the black businesses, because everything was segregated. Miss mm-hmm. Maddie Nutt down Dishley, mm-hmm. they had a store. Uh, the Campbells, they had stores. I mean, there was a lot of businesses that was in the black communities. And as soon as it became integrated, all of that gone, just lost. Yeah. And now... The monies that we would have been putting into the black communities is going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I know mama always talked about, she said she liked going to segregated school. She said the teachers cared more. They really made sure you learned. You know, you had black baseball teams. You had your rivalries. It was, seemed like a lot more fun and um, togetherness. And we're not saying that, you know, everybody should be separate. That's right. not what we're saying. What we're saying is that we should honor what is ours mm-hmm. because it is ours and to abandon it in favor of mm-hmm. that's is the situation because you can't get it back exactly and it's not always that we are welcome that's true i mean it's it, uh, separate but equal we never achieve the equal i know and some sometimes in kilmina they ran out black businesses To have black businesses does not mean that no one but black people can come to it. Right, right. We are being inclusive versus white businesses that kept blacks out. Exactly. It's like the schools. When we had integration, they closed the black schools Mm -hmm. so that we had to go to To white white schools. They closed them and they renamed them and they were lesser than what they were. For example, Central High School, they made it into a junior high and then tore it down. There is no more Central. There's just a memory. 
all of those schools that were, you know, Julia Rosenwald, Mount Jean, mm-hmm. A.T. Wright, mm-hmm. they're, they're gone. They are names. And if we don't keep it out to the forefront as being history so that younger people will remember and will understand, you know, some of the greatness that came from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there should be a course on just on Lancaster County history alone or the Northern Neck. We were on on Facebook. People were writing, did we learn about Juneteenth in high school? No, we didn't. In fact, I remember, you know, being in a literature class and they was like, oh, James Baldwin, that's not important. Parlance Dunbar, that's not important. But we learned about Charleston. We learned about this um, young Goodman Brown. I still can't tell you today what the hell (laughs) that story was about. But we had to read that shit over and over and over again you know Uh, (laughs) yeah what advice would you like to give young people I would always say never give up stick to your plan be determined just when you think you're about to fail that's when you're going to succeed and no goal is unattainable everything you want is in your grasp and you have the power to do it Fluff I really appreciate you coming in and uh, just just talking for a little while because I know you're on a tight schedule. <laughs> always, um, always uh, a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate, I appreciate that you as a black woman, you as a black woman from the northern neck, what you have achieved, just what we grew up as people from the northern neck, as a family from the northern neck, who was just taught that, yes, we don't give up. We're going to do in spite of and conquer the world. Mm-hmm. We're going to conquer the world. Yeah. So, uh, Kingswoman, I appreciate you being here and talking to me and helping me to achieve my goal. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I want to shout out my mother. Because my mother was very important in making sure I did my homework every day, took off my school clothes, put on my play clothes. And I told her one time she had this picture of Mandela, Malcolm X and King. And I said, my picture of um, Mandela is going to go in between there. And she was like, "Okay." I hadn't been to South Africa, not one time then. And then when I met Mandela twice, I didn't need the picture anymore, you know, because I still see him coming up to me right now with that broad smile and me holding his hand. And so I th- I want to thank my mother for that because she taught me to believe and go for it, work hard, and achieve. Well, now you have to tell me about how you got to meet <laughs> President Nelson Mandela. Well, President Nelson Mandela, okay, the first time I was at this civic society conference, and I happened to be standing in the doorway, and up walks Nelson Mandela and Grasso Michelle. So I talked to him, hi, Mr. Mandela, how are you doing? Oh, I'm quite fine. How are you? So then he came back through the line, and then I saw this friend that I had met at Vitz, University of Vitz-Waterbrand, and I said, you think I can get a picture with her? And I was pointing to Grasso Michelle. And she goes, who? My mom. So I got a picture with her mom. So then a Another conference, and it was the same one. Here come Bill Clinton. I said, hi, you like to shake a hand of a fellow American? goes, yes. And I didn't think about, you know, buddy, but I didn't think about that. But I got a picture with Bill Clinton. So I met, so that was the second time I met Mandela. The first time, it was at this award shows for Soweto, which is a, a township in Johannesburg. And so I had my hand out and his bodyguards were hitting my hand and putting it down. And he saw that and he comes over, puts his hand out, smiles, goes, hello, how are you? And I'm like, oh man, because I was like, at that moment, I had met Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, everybody. So that's how 
I met them. Oh my goodness! And when you're talking about buddy, you talk about buddy Carter, Carter, William A. Carter. He just retired. Yeah, just retired. I'm thinking he served six presidents. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, a lot of great things happen to people from the Northern Neck. I mean, we are all over. And and I think it's because of how we were raised. You know, everybody looked after everybody's child. And if you got a beating at somebody else's house, you got one when you got home, too. Yeah, you got a beating because you got a beating. Exactly. Exactly. And if somebody did something nobody would tell, everybody got a beating. Yes. Down the line. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, you're not going to tell? Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think it's just that it's that community spirit. And, you know, we're taught to be a certain way, not to think high and mighty about ourselves. You know, we're humble and respectful. And I think that's why grace continues to bless us. Definitely. Grace continues to bless us. Yeah. Yeah. The the connection. You may not share the blood, but you sure do share the the love. Everybody's connected by that love because we are a community mm-hmm. and we continue to be a community. And we include a lot of people. Come on in. Exactly. Down. Exactly. Yeah. Have a seat. Have what a seat. can I offer you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's fix your plate. Yeah, exactly. Come on, come come on honey. Mm-hmm. Come on, honey. <laughs> and, won't, and won't leave you alone till you get something yeah, yeah, out yeah, the door, yeah. right? You look, you look hungry. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell me and who's who's your mama who's your daddy <laughs> exactly exactly and I just think you know we really gotta interview more people especially our elderly who may be leaving us and look at all that knowledge that Gus Virgin Dunaway had and I think about daddy you know if I had the foresight you know to interview Ulysses Curry being on a boat for my Ma- mama Claudine and I did interview her, but um, Ann Bell and Uncle Sherman, I mean, Ann Bell knew more information being in her house than anybody. <laughs> How did they do that? How in the world did they find out? And they had not left the bed. But she knew what was going on. She knew. But I think, you know, when we were growing up, we had to play regular. We didn't have these video games. You know where everybody in the, in the community was by the bicycles outside. You had to come in when it get dark. You played and you had to be creative. You know, you had to imagine you were on an airplane or something. You had to think. Mm-hmm. The griot that... Uh, knows the oral history of families. Is that still something that happens in South Africa or in the tribes? In West Africa, too, all over, yeah, because there's a proverb that says when a person dies, a library burns. I mean, look at Mama telling me about history, family history. I didn't know if such and such was kin to this person, but she know. You know, we're all griots in a different way. So my question to you is, who's going to interview you? Because you're part of the Northern Act, too. Yeah, they don't want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> See, I might have to come back here and do your interview. <laughs> that would be funny. And no, you will not know what my middle name is. I'll find out, everyone. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I'm honored to even be selected to be a part of this. So thank you very much. Thank you, Fluff. All right. Generational Wealth describes who record our history, the continued quest to keep our history alive, the daily struggles to maintain our rights and hold on to our dignity, the dreams of the first ones and those who come after. It is all connected 
on the shores of the motherland and on the land where the first person was made to toil under the cruelty and evil that is slavery. We still rise. We still conquer. It is a joy to be black on the northern neck. The music by Robert A. Hall. This is dedicated to the memories of former president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, and Richmond native Arthur Ashe, gentlemen and gentlemen. Thank you for listening.